104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now... It's time for Ned Talk. Yeah, it's Ned Talk. I'm Joe Weston, and we are in the studio on a, well, it's not a beautiful day, but at least it's warm, right, Ned? It's it's better than it has been. I wouldn't call 40 warm, but it's warmer, and, I, and until it gets to 105, and, uh, and then I'm <laughs> talking about 105 105 degrees you'll you need to move to arizona Uh, move out of the world i think need to be (laughs) all right it's gonna be ned's therapy session for the next hour we're joined by john oliver john how are you i'm doing well it's pleasant to emerge from an ice age every now and then yes and uh of course josh roberts is with us hello how are you josh oh i'm doing all right feeling good all right let's uh Start things off. We've had a couple of weeks to heal. Let's do our autopsy on the Super Bowl. Ned, let's start with you. Your thoughts on the game. No offensive line. If you have the O-line, if they had had the O-line at full strength, I think they would have won the game. They being the Kansas City Chiefs would have won the game. I think it would have been close. Tampa Bay's no patsy out there, folks. They had a great team. But given the fact that Patrick Mahomes is running for his life, virtually the entire game, and Tampa Bay is able to seize on that impetus and be able to do whatever they wanted to do against a team that emotionally I think was down a little bit for a number of reasons, not just not just the offensive line not playing well, but you know what I'm making reference to with the other circumstance. I think they were ripe for the upsetting and did get upset. I do think Kansas City has a shot at coming back next year. I would not call them, unlike the other pundits, a strong favorite to do so. And the reason I don't is because of the salary cap. And I think that's going to catch up with them somewhere along the line. They'd head better. And I, we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But in terms of the game itself, the right team playing the best of the two teams won the game. Do you really think the uh, Brett Reed situation played that much into it? I do. I think it had an emotional effect. Now, again, Joe, I don't. it's not a direct effect. But the players had to, hey, here's our coach. Here's a member of our party. And he has been compromised with a circumstance of his own doing. But the fact is, he is still a member and not with the team. And he's the coach's son. And, yeah, that had to have played a role, yes. John, what are your thoughts on the game? Uh, you know, Ned addressed the the hundred pound elephant in the room, which is the offensive line, and it it just it was too many guys out, and it it showed the entire game. I don't remember the exact statistics, so you know if this is wrong out there, don't hold it against me. But I believe it's around six hundred and twenty yards that they estimated Patrick Mahomes ran four, just four, scrambling. Four twenty seven. Four twenty seven. There it is. Thank you, Ned. I was off, but still. I mean, that's he was constantly under pressure. And Tampa Bay's defense is good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you've got Ndamukong Sue and, you know, all those other guys in there. But they didn't do this to other teams this year that had, you know, similar offensive lines. The problem was lack of personnel. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is amazingly innovative. But even he, when he's being chased four out of every five plays, can't make anything happen. I think it's time this... This draft, and we said this last year, Joe, I remember you bringing it up, you've got to protect your investment. If you draft 
draft offensive linemen. We have the offensive talent. You have some good talent on defense. You need to protect your A1. Your A1? Let's not get personal here, okay? Snake sauce. <laughs> Josh, your thoughts on the game? He prefers ketchup. Well, Josh. <laughs> uh, I agree with what both of those guys said. I will also throw in the the thought of the first half and the penalties that were called fairly consistently against the Chiefs uh, defensive holding several times. And uh, this is where the, you know, I, I think I've got you on board with our conspiracy theory about the <laughs> NFL. Um, the the penalties that are called, especially holding, pass interference, defensive holding, that kind of stuff, illegal use of the hands, can be called every play. It's just the way that the game has developed to where these players do it because most of the time they get away with it. So then when they don't get away with it, it affects the outcome of the game in the sense of momentum and drive killing and that kind of thing. And I think that actually, that bit the Chiefs in the butt in the first half as well. Takes away your timing more oh, than yeah. anything else. And, and Josh, when you, and I, I'm making reverence now to another show that we do, I had Larry Nemers, <clears throat> excuse me, on with us. Larry's, uh, the, the referee for that game, Carl Sheffers is the individual who replaced Larry oh, Nemers God. as a referee. And he was Larry's hand-picked individual. Gets nothing but the highest grades. But this is not necessarily his crew. It's an all-star crew that has been chosen by the NFL because of their rating system. Nems told me during the course of our interview, after one day after the Super Bowl, he said, no, they called things the right way. He said he, being numbers, had only one call that he thought, uh, I don't know about that, and that was the interference call in the end zone that gave the Buccaneers the ball on the one-yard line, and they went in and scored, I think, on the next play or the play after that, whatever. He said that one might have been debatable, but the rest of them, he said, were legitimate and had to be. Did it take away from their uh, from their rhythm and their timing? There isn't any question oh, yeah. it did. Yes, it did. Well, and that's more of what I'm saying is that, when those penalties are called consistently, then the players theoretically should be able to adjust to the best of their ability. You know, I mean, if one guy gets makes his living by by getting those little extra digs in on the jersey, he may not do very well if he has to stop. But I think that combined with the fact that the the offensive line, I mean, it was it would it would have been one thing if it was just one tackle, but it was both tackles, and so. No matter where Patrick Mahomes was trying to scramble, he was getting pressure from the other side or both sides. So those two things combined just totally short-circuited their whole game. How about this for a stat that I found to be absolutely fascinating? The pressure that Mahomes is under, and he's being chased right out of the ballpark. You know how many times the Buccaneers actually blitzed in that game? Six. That is all Mm -hmm. it was. Six. The rest of the time was done by the four down linemen. Yeah. Getting in there, that shouldn't be the case at all. Mm-hmm. You have offensive line problems when that's the case. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. It's your local live sports talk show. We'll take your questions here in a little bit. I want to go back to something that Josh brought up because uh, I, I'm trying. One of my goals for 2021 is to take the tinfoil hat off the, all the time because <laughs> I, I am sick of conspiracy theories. But I will say that I found it interesting that in, I think it was the second or third drive of the game, Tony Romo brought up this statistic. I've watched hundreds, if not thousands, of football games over my life. 
and you hear just about every statistic ever come up. But Tony Romo whips this statistic up that I've never heard before about the percentage of teams scoring when the defensive side commits a penalty and then how many how much it is how much it goes up when they score when they have a second penalty i think it was 30% for one penalty 70% for two penalties i never heard that statistic before and then it to me i kind of got the inclination just from the conversation between jim nance and tony romo that you know they do two weeks worth of interviews before they do the super bowl and they they sit down with the officiating crew they have an interview with them they just they talk to them but I kind of got the feeling that maybe looking at the Chiefs and the way that they play defense on that side of the ball was a point of emphasis, that that was something that that crew had looked at and that was at least, at very least, in their minds. Your thoughts, Ned? I think you made a very good point, very cogent point indeed. You, When you take a look at what Kansas City has as their defects, here is Tyran Matthew, fine player, All-America, LSU, yep but also had his problems at LSU. I think he got booted off the team for a short time, had his problems with the Arizona Cardinals when he was out there. Not only not physical problems, but he also had the emotional ones of losing his cool. And the Chiefs, <laughs> the Chiefs did not play things very smart. No. There's Tampa Bay, and those guys, come on, they're competitors out there. They may be friends off the field, but they're competitors otherwise. And it, there's no question in my mind that the Buccaneers – used the knowledge that the Chiefs had several players with short fuses and they got underneath their skin, Mm -hmm. made them lose their concentration. You saw what happened to Matthew, and here's Tom Brady, saintly Tom Brady. You know Brady was doing some talking to him. Oh, yeah. Of course he was. That's part of the game. But you have to learn to adjust to those things, and Kansas Mm -hmm. City didn't. Now, during the course of the year, they may have played exactly that same kind of football, but none of their, and this is unfair to say, none of their games had the weight of a Super Bowl on them. And the Super Bowl is going to be an altogether different animal, and you can't compare it to anything else. So, no, I think, I think Tampa Bay played a very <laughs> smart football game in many respects. Are they the better of the two teams? There isn't any way they are. Right. Kansas City is the best team in the National Football League, player for player. But you better have the players, the best players out there. John, we saw this throughout the season. There were a couple of times that looked like the Chiefs' defense was about to implode mm-hmm. during the season. And, and, it, and what Ned just said, Tampa Bay took advantage of that. Your thoughts? They absolutely did. I mean, the, the defense is emotional, to say the least, for the Chiefs. You've got Matthew. You've got Frank Clark. You've got Chris Jones. These are guys that play with a lot of trash talk, a lot of intensity, a lot of that got damped down early with the penalties that were occurring. And Ned hit on a fantastic point that I wanted to make. You know, Joe, Josh, you guys both talk about, you know, is the fix in or the conspiracy and things like that. I look at it as more a, not a conspiracy, but it is a, I don't know how you want to say this, a bias, if you will, to certain players. And I think you see this in any sport. With the Tyron Matthew situation that Ned is referring to, if you watch that entire sequence develop, there are probably three different times Brady should have been flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct. He follows Taunting. Matthew, taunts him, goes all the way back. 
Matthew finally responds at the end, and I've never seen an official throw a flag out more quickly than I did that gentleman that threw that flag. So I think Brady obviously gets calls other athletes don't. Just like, you know, if we were going to talk about Major League Baseball, when Frank Thomas played, he got calls other guys wouldn't in the strike zone. That's going to happen. And is it fair? No, but it's been going on since the dawn of sports. Guys have certain reputations, and if they have that reputation for having a keen eye, if they have the reputation for being squeaky clean and, you know, just the fantastic game planner that Brady is, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt a lot of times from officials. Josh, uh, you have your tinfoil hat on. Oh, yeah, and I'll save yours for you. <laughs> okay, yeah, you can keep yours in your uh, bedroom drawer for me, and we'll just uh, yep. we'll get that later on. So your thoughts on the conspiracy? Well, I I was trying to – okay, so for me, it's – the conspiracy for me is all about television revenue. That's why I feel like they have a scripted uh, game plan for primetime games especially. But anyway, I won't go into that completely. But um, I feel like they wanted the game to be close, so they were calling those penalties in the hopes of keeping it close, and it kind of backfired on them because the, the, the Bucks kept scoring. And so then they're like, okay, in the second half, we just won't, we won't worry about calling those penalties anymore because it'll take care of itself, you know. So, I mean, that's, if you want to go that deep down the rabbit hole, that's where I would place that. I think it's interesting. Again, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take the tinfoil hat off, guys. I really am. Don't. But I think it's interesting that at the very beginning of the season, Ned's about to fall asleep. I think at the very <laughs> beginning of the season, there was a lot of talk about, oh, you know, this could be the first year that the Super Bowl is played in the Super Bowl team's hometown. I mean, that right. was talked about from the very beginning of the season. From day one. From day one. And here we are, we have it, and, and it was old guard out. versus new guard, and yeah. oh, well, you can't count out the old guard quite yet. That yeah. guy's still in there. I did not see that as being a factor at all. It's Super Bowl number one. You don't have a fan base while it is in Tampa Bay and while the players sleep in their own, bla- uh, own beds and have their own home circumstances. You don't have a fan base that is all theirs. It's, it's pretty homogenized in a lot of respects. I don't. I didn't view that as a case. I viewed the better team that afternoon as winning. Let's talk about a couple of things really quickly. Uh, first of all, get your quick takes on Andy Reid not changing the game plan at all. He stayed with the same game plan that they had went with when they beat Tampa earlier in the season. They were. It seemed like they were always looking for the big play, and they weren't taking the short plays. And that's not Kansas City. Well, your your point is well taken. He didn't he didn't change all that much. Didn't make what are perceived as being the the adjustments that you have to make. But by the same token, Andy Reid had coached a team that had 14 wins this year, and he'd done it with his formula. I think it was a matter of him having confidence in his formula that they'd be able to come back in the second half. They may have made an adjustment here or there, but over and above everything else, it's his confidence that he had in the offensive attack. Well, it didn't work. It did not work at all. And also, also, it may be possible, we'll never know. In fact, Andy Reid's the only one who does, whether or not the family situation may have interfered with his 
cognitive aspect of what was going on and maybe hindered a little bit his emotions. I'm guessing that possibly could have happened, but we'll never know. Doesn't make any doesn't make any difference now. It's water over the dam. As a Chiefs fan, John, were you frustrated with the way that the game was called by the coaching staff? Uh, you know, I was and I wasn't. You know, I've I've criticized Andy Reid in the past, and don't get me wrong, I think he's a fantastic head coach. I do feel like sometimes under pressure he just goes to tried and true, which isn't always a bad thing. The thing that struck me the most wasn't necessarily the coaching in this game. It was the fact that players were missing routes left and right. These are plays they've made all year, and I think – if you're diagnosing this like a physician, it comes down to that early pressure on Mahomes shaking the entire team. You see Hardeman missing on routes. You see Demarcus Robinson not going where he's supposed to. You see Pringle not turning around. And then meanwhile, Kelsey and Hill are double teamed. There's nothing you can do in that situation because you're veteran guys that can stand up to that pressure. And I'm not saying that these younger players won't be able to stand up to that pressure eventually. I think this was something they had not faced before. And they just weren't able to execute at that point. You saw a lot of, a lot, like almost every game, you could guarantee the Chiefs are going to run that jet sweep. Oh, yeah. The Tyree kill at some point during a game. They mm-hmm. were going to get that in there. Didn't go to that. They uh, A couple of times they did try to go to screens, and Tampa Bay did a really good job sniffing those out. But yes, they, they, didn't, did. they did not run very many screens, especially those those I would call them crowded screens, those busy screens. They were the ones that they were really getting caught out on. Josh was the ones with they were screening out with the running back by himself. But they weren't running those ones where the linebacker and the tight end kind of swing yeah. out that way. Yeah, more of like the deceptive approach where it looks like it might be a running play and then suddenly it's a middle screen or you know yeah they didn't do any of that were you surprised that there weren't as many rollouts i was surprised that they didn't try to reorganize the game plan to get some momentum because when when it was obvious that both of the tackles were junk and they weren't going to be able to block whoever was coming at them on their own they should have brought in i mean they could have brought in two running backs to to the sausage yeah they should they should have brought in the sausage and let him block. They should have brought in a second tight end and had him as a blocking tight end. They, I feel like that could have helped them get a little control over that pressure. But then, like we were talking about, they just continued to try to do the, the, the short, over the middle passes or the long plays. And you know, he's Mahomes is too. He's he was scrambling too much to for that to develop. And then on top of that, some of the. I mean, he made some spectacular attempts. And then was let down by his receiver because they they dropped it, hit him in the face mask. It didn't quite get into their the cup of their hands and just hit their finger their fingertips. So all of that stuff combined. I mean, I feel like they they probably should have tried to adjust, maybe make a more compact offensive scheme. Look like a team that they looked like a team that had never been to the Super Bowl before. They looked like a team that was shaken by the lights. Quick question, quick, and I want to go around really quickly before we head into the commercial break. Chris Jones, overrated. Ned. No, I don't think he's overrated at all. I think he's underused. John? I total agreement, not underrated in any way. Uh, I think he's I think he's a little overrated. I just because he's underperformed. Yeah, I would agree with I would agree with um I would agree with Josh. He just doesn't he's not that scary pressure sort of guy that you need on your defensive line. He just I think is a guy who at one time may have been that. He's not that anymore though. I think it may be a product of Spagnola and his defense 
saying, look, drop back. Don't put the pressure on. We have other guys who can do that. When you do, because you're so big and so dominant, you're leaving a wide open space there, and other teams can exploit that. I think it probably has something to do with that as far as his personality is concerned. No, I think he's a very good player. Let's uh, hear from you guys. If you've got a question for us, give us a call, 863-7104. That's 863-7104. It's Ned Talk, 104.7 The Cave. Back to Ned Talk. On 104.7, The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. All right, we've done our autopsy on the Super Bowl. It's time to uh, answer the questions that are foremost on everybody's mind, and that is what's going to happen next. Big story over the last week, though, happens to do with your uh, your your beloved Eagles. Arson yeah. Wentz. yeah. Is that a a major surprise? No, not at all. I think he was unhappy with the Philadelphia organization. He certainly was with Doug Peterson as the head coach, but Peterson's not uh, there now, new coach. But I think over more than anything else was the fact that he had expressed uh, disagreement with how the Eagles are being run. Well, Wentz is a pretty headstrong guy and was in college and is with the pros is a good leader. I think Indianapolis made a great trade. I think Philadelphia made a great trade. Mm-hmm. Do you want an individual on your team who is not overly impressed with what that team is trying to do? No, you do not, because that's your proverbial cancer in the clubhouse. Well, not that's not saying that Wentz was that at all, but he definitely was uh, had verbalized his unhappiness with the program and say, let him go. Let him go. We can come up with uh, Jalen Hurts and people like that who is playing very well. Furthermore, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Eagles go for another QB in the draft. Agreed. That's something that people, uh, I was surprised that they talked about. Jalen Hurts gave their, their team a new look, a new dimension. was kind of surprised that they parted away with Doug Peterson because usually a uh, Super Bowl win buys you a little more time than Doug Peterson got. But they have not obviously been the same team since then, since Nick Foles left and uh, not in the backup role anymore. And Carson Wentz, uh, you know, the way the ESPN treated the story over the week, you would think Tar- Carson Wentz was Tom Brady, the way they, 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 yeah, they, no, they, they talked about it. He is obviously a guy that, uh, as we always say on the show, it's hard to throw a complete pass on your on your back. But he is not the same quarterback that he was, and he suffered a lot from injuries. Well, he made the choice. He wanted to go to the NFL as opposed to any place else. And, in fact, he, I think, has the ability to be that kind of player, mm-hmm. but not with the team that he was playing now. And, and I'm sure he has compromised his own well-being with that organization and with the attitude of the other players. You, you've got to be able to operate as a team, and I doubt that he was. That starts the quarterbacking carousel. Oh, yeah. That is the first domino that fell. Phillip Rivers, does he come back? Does he play? Where does he go? Where does he fit in at? What do you guys think? Yeah, it's only a one-year contract, so he conceivably could go anywhere he wants. Yeah, I, I think he'll retire. If I'm you being do? honest, I do. Yeah. I think I think he'll hang it up. I think he and he and Breeze both, I think, are are not going to come back next year. Really, hmm. I do. I think Drew Breeze will. 
Uh, he already lowered his salary to the minimum to make sure they were under the cap. I, there's just a lot of things that point to the fact that I think he's done. Josh? I think Breeze will be back, and I honestly think Philip Rivers will come back too because I think he's too arrogant to realize <laughs> that. I uh, didn't want to say that. To retire. But. Uh, and he had a good season. I mean, let's be honest. The Colts looked pretty good with him last year, so uh, we'll, we'll, I don't – I mean, I can't imagine that he would be starting for the Colts, but, I mean – I don't know if he'll go somewhere else. Who knows? I mean, there are plenty of teams that need a serviceable quarterback, and that's what he's always been. What's uh, I mean, what do you think Carson Wentz does for the Colts, Ned? I mean, what's your thoughts? Does that put them into uh, being a second-tier playoff team, just that move? I don't think it hurts them. Well, I, mm-hmm. I agree. I don't think it hurts them, but do you In think it terms, hurts them Well, Joe, there are so many variables involved with the with, – during the course of the season with your injuries and what have you, things like that, players opting out because they'll have that option again to do that. Uh, in terms of being able to lead the team, you look what Carson Wentz has done during his career. North Dakota State University, a leader. Early years with the Philadelphia Eagles, a leader. Mm-hmm. Took this team, and while he was not the QB in the Super Bowl, who was Foles who was, that was only because of injury. They would have ended up there anyway. I I like the leadership ability that he has. His arm is still strong. Now, he is not a scrambler. He's a straight drop-back pocket passer. But I think he can do a lot of things for Indianapolis, and I think he makes them a very good football team, yes. Okay, better than they were under Phillip Rivers. Hard to say because they're different style QBs. So the bottom line will be what a team achieves next year. Really? Different style QBs? I mean, Philip Rivers is a drop-back passer. He is. Just older. Well, older and more prone toward passing than uh, giving off to any of the runners or operating a running attack. They didn't do much of that at all. It's mostly Philip Rivers. I don't think that will be the case with Wentz. He's a good passer, yes, but he's also a much more diversified QB. Bears, Pats, Jets are the teams – that come to mind when you start talking about teams that maybe need a quarterback and you see how quickly the NFL is cycling through quarterbacks. It, 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 mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's neck breaking at this speed, how quickly <laughs> like a guy like Sam Darnold, who was, you know, the savior of the jets looks like he may possibly be uh, out of a job here very quickly. It, it is possible, but that's also the nature of pro football. Well, I mean, it, it, it wasn't always that way, and, and it's, it's, got, it's gotten more so, you know, in, this, in the John Gruden era of football commentating and football coaching as the next guy's the best. I mean, currently there are several pundits out there trying to talk any NFL team out of tra- after dra- uh, drafting Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's that quick. I mean, he's he was a great college quarterback. He obviously has a tremendous arm. He's a tremendous leader on the field. He's a winner. What more could you want for your organization? Well-spoken guy. Nope, not good enough. <laughs> well, yeah, because now they're talking about Mac Jones because yeah. Alabama yeah. won the national championship. It's, so it's, what have you done for me lately? Exactly. It's it's a short patient span right oh, now in the NFL. It's non-existent. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean yeah. – one of the things you look at is it amazes me how much different some of these quarterback situations are. The trade for Wentz made a lot of sense to me. The draft picks made sense that went the other way. Made sense for him to go to Indianapolis. Now let me go back to the Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford trade. Oh, I think that I, I, that's a ridiculous Sending trade. Goff, who is 
still a very talented young quarterback. Same draft class as Carson Wentz, if I'm not mistaken. And those draft picks for Matthew Stafford. Uh, yeah. I, it's, I mean, it's mind-boggling. When was the last time Matt Stafford played an entire season? <laughs> right. And that's, I mean, it, it's it, we, we're advocates on this show of mm-hmm. offensive linemen. Yes. And I think that that's what wins, really wins football games for teams. And uh, I think probably one of the more surprising teams was, it has been to me, the Dallas Cowboys, because they built an offensive line to protect that Prescott. And he's not, he's a serviceable quarterback. Mm-hmm. He right. doesn't fall in the great quarterback category. Nope. But a good offensive line will make you look like a great quarterback. Yes, it will. If you've got time to throw. No question about that. Hey, the, the O-line is your key. Yes. When you have the horses up there, look at, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the over-the-hill gang, the Washington Redskins, where were they strongest? The O-line. The hogs. Mm-hmm. Big hogs up front that yep. George Allen labeled as the hogs, and, and he's right. You have a modicum of talent. You can still do those things. Hey, bring them on. They have the experience. Well, yeah, because they had Joe Theismann as their quarterback. Come mm. on. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not then. They had uh, Sonny Jurgensen. Oh, yeah, you're talking way back. Okay. Uh, this is the over-the-hill gang, right? Right. But in, in, any, in any circumstance, a winning team is not a one-man show. No. And it isn't. It, QB is very important. There's no question about that. That that QB is only as good as his offensive line is going to allow him to be. And therein lies, I think, the big problem. Sure. I also think that teams and organizations have been spoiled because in the recent past there have been several quarterbacks that have had that instant success, like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and so every team thinks, well, we can do that too if we just pick the right guy. Mm-hmm. And that is probably part of why we have this quarterback carousel happening as well because they're like, well, this guy didn't do it, so, yeah, get this guy now because, you know, he looks so great in college. He'll be the one that will be an instant success in the NFL. Whereas 10 years ago, we would be talking about how it takes two or three years. They're going to develop under the veteran quarterback, get get the right (laughs) frame of mind, and then they become the starter. So it's just that instant gratification that everybody wants in the NFL now that's doing this. Josh, one of the reasons behind that, too, is the maturity of college football. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different now. These are not just raw kids who are going into the NFL. They are experienced because of the better level of college football that's played now. I think that plays into it. Definitely. Yeah, I think it does as well. On a, a bit of a humorous topic, we talk about these college quarterbacks. You know, this is going to come in and save the world. Ned, you'll remember this, I know, because you're always with me on these historical instances. There was a young Miami University quarterback named Gino Toretta who won the yep. Heisman. When he went to his first training camp, he could not throw a spiral <laughs> due to the difference in the size of the ball. He couldn't throw a spiral. So even if you're a great college quarterback, that does not always translate to the pro level. And I'm wondering whether or not Trevor Lawrence doesn't fit that particular category. Could be. He did not have a great year this year. Now, COVID, I'm sure, had something to do with all this, and there are other circumstances that involved what happened to Clemson and some of the other teams in the country. But, but... Is he the type of kid to come in here and take over a Jacksonville Jaguars or a New York Jets or somebody like that 
and uh, make them an instant contender. And I think that is a very debatable point. Well, I think you could. I think we could spend a whole hour just talking about this subject because <laughs> there's guys out there that have jobs. Mitchell Trubisky, um, mm-hmm. you know, his time's really up. Yeah. In in Chicago, uh, Deshaun Watson hasn't signed anywhere yet, or hasn't been moved anywhere yet, and that's a key. And and uh, it's interesting to watch some of these, you know, million dollar, million billion dollar corporations. It's what they are, you know, turn on a dime and pretty much scrap the face of their organization and then go somewhere else to try to get the quick fix because mm-hmm. it's really not there. Right. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. We've got a roundtable discussion coming up next. If you've got questions, give us a call, 863-7104. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. We did get a uh, Facebook question from Kathy Baird. Kathy, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name, but she wants to know where you think J.J. Uh, Watts is going to land, Ned. You know, there is some team or several teams that can use this guy. J.J. Watt is still a fine player, but he is also on the downward end of his career. He's been around for 11 years, and he's suffered injury after injury. There was some thought that, hey, maybe the Chiefs could use somebody like that, but the answer is very, very, very unlikely. Why? Because the salary cap. The Chiefs are $23 million over the $180 million salary cap. They're going to have to do something and certainly going out and spending money. Interesting thing about Watt is that he was scheduled to make this year $17,900,000. Well, the Texans let him go. You don't have to pick up his contract. When they let you go, you're a free agent. So he really, realistically, can negotiate for whatever. Well, is he going to take a pay cut? How many of these guys take pay cuts? It's going to be somebody who is probably fairly well off in the bank account who's going to be able to handle somebody like J.J. Watt. Yes, he can help a team. I look for him to go to perhaps Patriots. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him end up there. He is still very effective at what he does. The Patriots were not. To get an old pro in there to help teach them, mm-hmm. I think he'd be very good. He could be good with the Miami Dolphins. That was my thought. They're an up-and-coming yes. team. Uh, there, there are a number of them that could handle somebody like that. But in terms of Kansas City being one of them, I think it's terribly unlikely. It's off-season, Ned Talk, so we uh, are looking for different topics to talk about. And this week, Josh Roberts suggested a really good win, and that was uh, which career-long record is the most unbreakable? Let's, let's broaden that out a little bit. Which baseball, which baseball record is the unbreakable one? And uh, on this list is Cal Ripken's games, consecutive game street, 2,632. Nolan Ryan's strikeout record, 5,714. Stolen base record, Ricky Henderson, 1,406. And total bases, Lou, um, Hank Aaron, 6,856. Oh, you're missing the biggest one of all. And that's yeah. the consecutive games, consecutive hit streak from Joe, Joe DiMaggio. DiMaggio. This, this was just a career record one, yeah. and, that, and that's the one so I wanted to bring up. What's your thought, Ned? We'll start with you. Well, DiMaggio's. I don't think that'll ever be touched, ever, and that's because the players do not have that level of consistency about them. Another one is the Nolan Ryan strikeouts. And what is it, 5,700 and something, something yeah, like 57, that? 
57, 14 <laughs> strikeouts. The Nolan Ryan's a freak, guys, yeah. a freak. Those guys tried to match that now. Oh, they'll have 800 Tommy John surgeries right. and all, all that sort of thing. I think, in my opinion, those two are the unbreakable records that we'll see. John? So I I agree completely with what Ned's saying, and I want to add one in here that's not on that list, and that's Cy Young's career win record at 544 or 514, yeah. I believe. Five, yeah, five, the game has changed, and it's not going to change back anytime soon. Wins don't matter. Well, I hear that a lot, which that's <laughs> literally one of the dumbest things I've ever RBIs heard. RBIs don't matter. Oh, Lord. Stop, stop with the Bill James. It's um, wins above replacement. Oh, my War. gosh. You're going you're gonna to rub my blood pressure up. <laughs> so when talking about the way that baseball's changed, Ned brought up the fact this isn't a contact league anymore. So with Joe DiMaggio's streak, you don't have that mindset. It's about launch angels. It's about lift. On the pitcher side of things, guys, it was unlikely 15 years ago you were going to see anybody even get close to 400 wins because they went to five-man rotations. Now you counter that with the fact that you have a chance for them to build off of the pandemic arrangement last year where you might have a pitcher go five and then buy. You're paying all this money for these long relievers, these shutdown guys. They're going to take over in the fifth. Nolan Ryan's strikeout record will not be broken in this system. The wins total for pitchers will not be broken in this system. Those things I can guarantee. Josh? Well, I'll start by saying, okay, so on these four career longs that we talked about, uh, the current Ironman is 247 <laughs> games, not even 10% of Cal Ripken's record. Who, who has that? Whit Merrifield. Yeah, Whit Merrifield oh, for the Royals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the strikeout, the current strikeout leader is Justin Verlander, and he has 3,000, mm-hmm. just over 3,000. So he'd have to double what he's done in his career. And Ver- Verlander is 34, 35. Yeah, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. The current stolen base leader has 303. <laughs> it's so that's never going to happen. The only one that almost seems approachable is the, the total runs scored, the Hank Aaron record. Albert Pujols has 5,900 career total bases. But the problem is he's 40 years old and he's played 20 Correct. years in the league. So he probably doesn't have that many years left. So I don't think any of these records are going to be broken Uh just because, like you guys have said, the game has changed so much. Nobody is going to play every game with nagging injuries anymore because they're told not to Uh or they don't want to because they don't want to jeopardize the potential of their future career. No, Nobody is going to get that many strikeouts because – like you're saying, they they don't pitch complete games anymore. That's not important to them anymore. Uh, stolen bases are a thing of the past, partially because the catchers are so much better at throwing them out, and partially because it just most of the teams don't even bother with short ball like they used to because of what you're saying. They want home runs, they want excitement, they want the big, big thing. So, the only one to me that could be approachable would be total bases, but that's going to take someone who is just another Albert Pujols but younger when they really hit their stride. Glad to hear you say that too, Josh, about the nature of the game changing. The small ball, which to me, from a personal standpoint, is baseball. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Gonzo. Gonzo. Yeah. And there was an interesting little fact that factoid that came out here about two weeks ago about Major League Baseball. They have, they admit now, 
Major League Baseball admits that in 2019, <laughs> the ball was juiced. Yes, it was. It was wound Surprise. tight. So they have said what we're going to do is take it, – it's something to do with wind drag of some sort. I, know, I think that means loosening the cover. Yeah. But whatever it is, <laughs> the, the adjustment that Major League Baseball is going to mandate will <laughs> take a foot and a half off the uh, length. And that, that sounds like I'm joking – but that's how much it will take off, and mm-hmm. that is big. That's That will reduce home runs by quite a bit. And, Ned, one other thing I want to kind of piggyback on this, and, Joe, you and I have had these discussions. With the game changing, you have to look at the Hall of Fame differently moving forward. You know, we had those milestones that were automatic entry to the Hall of Fame, 3,000 hits, 300 wins. If I'm looking at those 3,000 hits, you may still see the occasional Mike Trout or, you know, even a Nick Markakis may sneak in there with the number of hits he's managed to accumulate. You're not going to see it very often. As far as career wins for a pitcher, you're it looking at 200 to 200. 225 it being has to the be mark. The number now. Yeah. I mean, CeCe Sabathia, the litmus test on him is surefire Hall of Famer. And Joe, you can. What is he, 244, 250? I don't know. I, don't know. I, I guess I can look it up. I, yeah. it, you know, he. We had this discussion. Um, we, I would say, we had a discussion. We had an argument la- a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> because uh, on the list of uh, guys that comes up is was Kurt Schilling, and I, I just don't think Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer uh, because I just don't think he meets the litmus test. And I agree. Two fifty went two hundred and fifty one yeah. wins, hundred and sixty one losses, three point seven four lifetime ERA. 3,093 strikeouts. I mean, yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. He's he's the last of that era that's going to get that high-end win totals. I mean, you look for locals that, you know, follow baseball. Think about how distinguished Adam Wainwright is. He's just hitting 150 wins in his career. Sure, he's had injury-shortened seasons, but the expectations are going to have to change for enshrinement. Just looking at at Schilling's statistics, I mean, yeah, maybe I changed my mind. Just pure statistics, 216, 146 on losses, a 3.46 ERA, and 3,000 strikeouts. Yeah, so maybe, yeah. Okay. He did play Sh- on those bad Phillies teams, too, and which you got to okay. remember. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll back off in that and say Kurt Schilling. I'm Hall still iffy Hall on him. I'll be honest. I just think, that, you know, the, the litmus test for a Hall of Famer used to be that he was the dominant player at his position at that time. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is it's not the it's not the Hall of Famous. Mm-hmm. Right. And the NFL and the NBA are the Hall of Famous. Mm-hmm. Does we, you know, does Dennis Rodman belong in the Hall of Fame? Do some of the guys that belong in the NFL Hall of Fame just because you know their name? Do they belong there? You have to prove it. You have to prove it on paper. I do want to debate one point. Sure. Not bad to Phillies team, just less than good. Less than good, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, Ned. I should have been should have been more considerate to their plight there. <laughs> if I got, apologize to John Cruck and Darren Dalton and the crew. If you've got a question for us, give us a call, 863-7104. It is Ned Talk, 7 The Cave. Back to Ned Talk. On 104.7, The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Just gnashing our taters on the air here, guys. <laughs> Doing Ned Talk. We'll get back to the music in a few minutes, guys. It's okay. We uh, we usually save this portion of the show for our predictions. We don't really have any predictions. Uh, spring training's coming up. 
Uh, Masters is around the corner. Uh, Final Four, college basketball, March Madness. Ned, I know this is one of your I know it's the your favorite time of the year as far as weather gets warmer and the sports get hot. Mine Mostly too. the weather getting warmer. I do not want to wake up some morning when it is 14 degrees below zero. Oh, my <laughs> God almighty. I thought I'd died and gone to whatever the ultimate hell is. <laughs> yeah. so, Any, anyway, uh, <laughs> the whole circumstance, yeah, is, is getting better now. Yeah, with the warmer weather, we get the... The influx of championship-level basketball, mm-hmm. and I, I don't care what anybody tells you, guys. In my opinion, the shutdown of the NCAA tournaments, in plural, was a major subtraction to the psychology of this country. Huge. They may have thought, uh, oh, we not need to do it. The virus is going to infect everybody. That was a major mistake, and I'll stand by that statement. I will stand against that statement, but we'll just move on. And no, what's your favorite? What's your favorite thing about spring sports? Mine, or personally, yeah. yeah. About spring sports in general, you mean? Yeah. What's your favorite one? I mean, what's uh, oh, we baseball. got baseball? We got Masters. We've got no, 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 no. no. Masters is is a weekend event. Well, come on. Yeah, no, baseball is season long. It is forthcoming, uh, forthcoming from the early part of March. Mm-hmm. To uh, the end of September, early October. No, no, no. I, I find that all-encompassing, and that's that is it. I love You're it. a nitpicking your old age. You know that it's not nitwit Ned. It's it's nitpicking Ned. <laughs> Nitpick Ned. I am allowed <laughs> to do that because I'm almost eighty years old. I am so it, tired of hearing you talk about how old you are. I stop am. it. Just stop. <laughs> what? <I'm>, what? <laughs> well, I'm allowed to get away with that stuff, and you're debating it with me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just ridiculous. I don't like it when mommy and daddy fight. <laughs> Who's the that, mommy? That's what uh, I was just thinking. Me? I'm the mommy? Okay. No, right. you're a pain, not mommy. <laughs> it's just because I'm better looking than you are. Oh, oh no. Now it's going to get mean. That's going to nasty. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite? Come on now. Oh, it's, it's spring. It's baseball. I mean, those of us, I have lived and breathed baseball for decades now. Anyone that knows me knows that. The crack of the bat, the sound of the glove. This is the time when hope springs eternal. And I know baseball is not for everyone. It's not a quick game. It's not It's not necessarily a fast-paced game most of the time. And I don't, you know, I don't disagree with anybody that doesn't like it. I mean, if you like the NBA's pace, if you like the NFL, sure. Baseball will always be the gentleman's game to me. It's rules are very similar, not the way the game's played, but the rules are still extremely similar to its inception. And there's just something about, you know, the weather getting warmer, the smell of a ballpark, the sounds that just absolutely, you know, bring peace, if you will. Josh? Hmm. Hmm. Baseball's poetic. Baseball is poetic. I'll Mm -hmm. give you that. Baseball has this rich beautiful history that can be studied for decades it's a quilt yeah it is yeah and and you're right it it, of of all professional sports it seems to be the one that has maintained a certain aspect of normalcy with its rules and with the way it's played i mean (laughs) you know we were talking earlier you know we've moved towards hitting home runs versus small ball which is disappointing to a lot of people but you know but you know the sport i'm excited about nobody else cares but premier league Although Liverpool sucks this year. So. <laughs> I mean, they don't suck. They're sixth. But uh, anyway. We'll tell you one for just for what it's worth. Uh, while his his comedic aspect, George, I was a big fan of George Carlin. Oh, yeah. I thought the guy My was favorite. funny as, as funny could be <laughs> in a sardonic way. 
his bit on comparing baseball and football was absolutely <laughs> the funniest yeah. thing I have ever heard. Yeah. They're rounding third and going home, yeah. whereas in football, yeah, the blitz, yep. the red dog. You score was, a touchdown. The gridiron. <laughs> baseball, you go home. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. George Carlin, my surrogate father. Yeah. I right. miss him For every me, day. It's got to be fan-controlled football. Bees stay undefeated while the Glacier Boys picked up their first win last oh week. Manziel's finishing up on a season-high 122 <laughs> yards for the Zappers. I didn't even know they played their first week, I had let no alone idea. two weeks. Well, guys, Zappers. let's get to wrap it up. If you're just tuning in and you're thinking, what the hell's this? It's Ned Talk. <laughs> we'll be back next week. You can listen to us as a podcast online. Thanks to Scott Meyer. Thanks to Mike the Intern, Corbin Campbell, Nick Fury, and everybody that all three of you that out there that listen to us. We'll see you next <laughs> week. Ned Talk, 104.7 The Cave.